Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Digital Rookie Podcast. My name is Patrick Quay, the Digital Rookie, and on this episode, I'm going to be talking to Evan Singer. After spending the last 10 years working for companies such as Uber and the NFL, Evan now lives in Los Angeles running his own marketing consultancy called Human Speak. Be sure to check that out. Evan's career development strategies and techniques have been key in opening the doors to new opportunities. He has great stories to share about his journey from rookie to professional, so I hope you enjoy. One last thing, make sure to check out The Digital Rookie on Facebook and at Digital Rookie Hub on Instagram. Also, check out our website, digitalrookiehub.com. Thanks so much. Alrighty, so welcome to the first ever Digital Rookie podcast. Evan, thank you so much for coming on today. Basically, I'm going to be focusing, obviously, for The Digital Rookie, it's about career development and talking about how you got into sports business because I want this to be a platform for yeah helping people out and getting people on the right track for starting their own careers in sports marketing or sports business. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm honored that I'm the first, first <laughs> no guest. Worries. Absolutely no worries. So yeah, do you want to explain a little bit about what you do now and kind of where your career has led you so far? Yeah, so right now, um, back in January, I launched my own marketing consulting business um, called Human Speak, and it was designed to simplify the marketing engine of sorts that can usually uh, run on complexity. And you know, I've been at various big companies that we can talk about that a lot of times think of customers in in regards to numbers okay, and yeah. sales, and it's very easy to lose sight that. You know, most, re- most times, more than not, businesses are created to solve problems for people mm-hmm. um, and solve problems in general. And so if you root everything in that and you're focusing on them, kind of like you're starting this podcast to help people like you, um, you're already going to be better than half the marketing out there. Okay, great. Um, that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. And so rooting in um, authenticity and rooting in fixing what I call the marketing disconnect mm-hmm. um, is my mission. You can make something as simple as when someone says this in human speak, right? It's, right. it's a simple translation and that's the goal with, with my marketing to make marketing and customers finally click. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. So is this a project that you've done that you've created yourself or do you have a team around you? Or? No, it's, it's just me. Um, on the consulting side mm-hmm. and then, you know, I've worked with plenty of people that, if I got a big project that needs some design help, you know, I can certainly bring some other um, resources in. But yeah, um, as of right now, it's just me, and I've got a few clients and growing to more, and it's, yeah, it's awesome. been going good. It's it's been an odd time, obviously, to launch a business. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. So it's definitely t- tested, you know, my mindset and my work ethic and my discipline because that's something really important now more than ever. Has um, um, it's been good. Yeah, has that impact? Has Corona impacted your business model and and how you've been able to, you know, work with clients significantly? So one of my clients had to go on pause in May to just kind of figure things out and figure out where they were going, what they were putting on pause, what they weren't. Um, they're they're talking to me about coming back actually this next month, which okay. is great. But I think that was the best thing that could have happened for me yep. personally okay. because I was lucky enough to launch with clients. I'd been approached as I was thinking about doing my own thing. And so that kind of gave me that extra push to be like, yeah, I think I can do this. I can do it on my own. Yeah. But when I 
lost that piece of business, I really had to get really tight on my, my own offering. Mm-hmm. And so I've been revamping my website. I've been getting really clear on what I right. do. Um, Cause I think it's easy to just let your day to day and your, your tasks, right. Dictate yeah. what you do. And I don't think enough people really take the time to sit back and reflect and get really clear on what they do and why they do it well. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gave me the space to do that kind of like you're doing with this podcast. And so, so yeah, I, that was a real blessing actually looking back this last month or two. Yeah, definitely. I have to, I definitely up leveled myself. Yeah. The having the last three months to, I was talking about this with a friend, the, the whole idea that all of a sudden we've had this, you know, heap of free time to just like yeah, consider and, and think properly about what we want to do. Or I know for me creating this personal, like professional project has been, you know, months of thinking and it took me ages to actually, like, I knew, I knew I wanted to do something that encapsulated my interests and my, like, yeah. my professional passion, but, but I didn't know how that looked. And last three years of uni, you don't really get that time to actually consider it. And then you find that we found ourselves in this time where we're just, you know, sitting on the couch and you can properly just sit there and think it, which is really nice. So yeah. that's really cool how you've yeah kind of, you know, developed that. I wanted to kind of structure this podcast by starting. Yes. So we've got a little insight into what you do now, but really going back to the start of, you know, your professional career, uh, kind of like, you know, where I'm sitting at the moment and yeah, delve into what tactics you've used and what strategies and, you know, the, li- the little things that you might have might reflect on now that, that really changed and developed your career. So can you tell me a little bit about like your first experience in the marketing industry? Yeah. Before I tell you about my first job per se, let me tell you about a tactic that really helped me get that job. Yeah, 100%. Because um, I don't know if I would have gotten it without it. I, since an early age, was always fascinated and passionate about marketing because mm-hmm. I've always been a creative and the ability to sit in a room and have an idea in your head turn into fruition to then move a business yep. and make people change their behaviors and help them in their lives and, and grow a business purely through an idea was really interesting. My parents have their own business, had my whole life. So I was always around my parents running a business yeah, great. And so business was kind of my upbringing. Creativity was kind of a, you know, a unique thing that I had. Okay. Um, and so I went to my college professor in advertising and I said, I asked him about any advice he had. And he said two words to me. He said, informational interview. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And he said, talk to people you know. And ask them if they know anyone in advertising, because my dream was always to start in an agency. The founder of my business school, um, the Eller College of Management at University of Arizona in the US, he started as an account exec in an agency and said that working in an agency is one of the best places to start because you get to work on a lot of different industries, you got to wear a lot of hats, it's fun. And so I was like, okay, so informational interviews. He said, talk to anyone that you know that's in advertising and ask them if they'd be willing to introduce you so that you can learn about what they do. 100%. And that's a really important key because if you're reaching out to people to try and get a job, you're seen as a nuisance. If you are reaching out to people to learn about what they do, people love talking about themselves. I'm doing it right now, (laughs) right? 
Yeah. Um, and people are flattered if you want to be like them, if you want to do things that they do. Mm-hmm. And so I, my senior year of college, I averaged an informational interview one a week Yeah. for this- the whole second semester. Go ahead. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because one thing my mom also has worked at, she was a consultant, a business consultant throughout like the main part of her career and getting to my last year of university, she was like, you know, you just have to start building a network. And so, yeah, the last like probably six months of my degree into this year was really about just meeting as many people as possible and just like finding out really the who's who, just knowing what people do. Like, you know, that's how I, that's how I heard about like Sean Callanan, his work. And it started with like who my mom knew from her consulting career and, and progressively grew through that. And, you know, that's been able to get me, you know, the reason I'm talking to you today is because I found out about Sean and then uh, you go on his zoom calls and then, you know, here we are. Um, And the same thing about like, you know, most of my professional career, which is, you know, just been working for free for people really, but has been through networks and relationships I've made through, you know, either Sean's podcast or people I might've met. And, and yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely that, that tip is hundred percent something that, um, that I'd recommend as well for people trying to get into that, that business, because just knowing people is an asset that you have that isn't on your resume, but is something that you can then lean on later. Yeah. And there's a really important distinction with like building a network, right? You know, I've been to so many networking events and Mm. it's uncomfortable because a lot of people can lead from trying to build a network where I was never really trying to build a network, which was my way of, of coming off authentic. Some people might come off authentically from trying to build a network. But for me, it was about asking really specific questions Mm -hmm. about what they do to show that I've done my homework and that I'm curious and that I've thought deeply about what they do. So I did research about, so let's go back to how I got my first job. Yep. Right. Uh, I was an agency in San Diego, small agency. They were the agency of record for TaylorMade and Adidas golf. Okay. Um, in Encinitas, California, which is you've never been one of the that. best cities <laughs> um, in Southern California. It's, right. it's an amazing little beach town. And I played TaylorMade clubs, you know, ever since I played golf, I, yep. I loved made clubs. And so I had a lot of questions about what they did with TaylorMade and how, how do you react when you have a client that's asking for too much? Or mm-hmm. how do you get an athlete to act when they're not actors? And all of these right. very specific questions. And the, the funny thing is I just went to learn, right? And so I was doing a road trip up for spring break from um, Arizona where I went to school to San Francisco. I'd never okay. been to California before. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm from um, Missouri. And so I went up and they were the first stop. I had a few stops on the way up um, at different agencies. And I sat down with the president who I asked knew like my aunt, um, my aunt's friends with her mom and they set it up and right. you know, I showed up. And so I got to sit down with the president for like 45 minutes and I had my little notepad and I had a bunch of questions. Yeah. And she wrote back to me after and said that you asked incredible questions. Thank you so much for coming. But she also set me up with two account execs that were only a few years older than me. So I got to have a perspective from someone just out of school, right? Also, I got to hear it from the president. Hmm. And so nothing came of that at first, but months down the line. So this was in March and I'd say May or June when summer was about to start and graduation um, had just happened. 
she emailed me and said, are you still looking for a job? And at that time I was planning on not getting a job. I, I had my idea for a startup yep. and I was going to like work with my parents on the side um, for a little cash, live at home and try and make my startup a thing. Yeah. But she called me and said, will you come in for an interview on the TaylorMade account? And you know, one thing I wanted to bring up with you yeah. in regards to helping young people find what they could do is something that I heard Tim Ferriss say the other day, which really struck me, which is a full body yes. Okay. When they, what that means is when they asked me, her name's Michelle Edelman. She now runs another agency in New Orleans. Right. She asked me to come be on the Taylor or interview to be on the TaylorMade golf account in San Diego, California. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how could I not interview yeah. for that? How, like, how old were you at this stage? So I was 22, just out okay. of college. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I wasn't thinking of getting a job, but I could still try and make my startup work on the side nights and weekends yeah. and get paid to do a dream job for a biggest golf company in the world in yeah, one of the most result. amazing places to live. Yeah. And I would have never gotten that opportunity if I didn't go to them and ask really good questions. Now, of course, I still had to interview and I still had to perform. Yeah. Um, the interview day was, is a crazy story itself. Um, but, you know, I still had to do well at that. But yeah, of course. That's, that was a huge part of getting in the door. Yeah. And that foot in the door is almost, the, it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Because, you know, once, once you're there, you can lean on the professional relationships you make with people in the agency or through clients that you make and, and go from there. But getting that first foot in the door is, is almost the hardest part, especially as a, you know, fresh out of uni, you're competing against everyone else who's also trying to get that foot in the door. And so, yeah, that differentiator is your ability to ask really specific questions and show your passion and interest. Yeah. Obviously different. And Patrick, think about think about the difference of us being on a Zoom call together and you seeing me talk. I'm a human being at that point, right? Yeah. And I knew you were on the Zoom, right? If you would have reached out to me cold via email or via LinkedIn, you know, we all get a lot of those. Yeah. And you just be another one of those messages. And so I think Sean's Zoom calls is a perfect example of, you know, if you can go and be who you are and add value through, you know, your responses or simply be a part of it, you're, it's so much easier to then, you know, take that offline and do something like this, 100%. right? And that was what I found with my informational calls. I was suddenly someone that they talked to and mm. they knew and they were suddenly like oddly in my corner, even though we just talked for 40 minutes they could feel the genuine passion that I had for advertising. Yeah. And suddenly I could reach out to them and say, hey, I saw this article that made me think of you. Hope you're well. And I send yeah. them something. I'm not asking even, for things. Hmm. I'm sending, right? Even that maintaining that relationship over a long period, longer period of time because you want to obviously, you know, refresh that relationship you know, every month or so. I don't know. It depends on, depends on the person. But yeah yeah just sending just sending a hey how's how's everything going like you know what what's news at so-and-so club or so-and-so agency i think that's a really important part of maintaining your network as well not just being letting yourself be forgotten yeah so I'd yeah i'd be curious if anything really worked for you well um, recently i found a lot of the meetings that i had with people really good because you're right when you're saying you're showing that that interest and you're going out of your way to 
to make an effort and being young and, you know, not, not having a lot of experience, but clearly showing that you want to get experience and you want to get into the workforce. They want to help you. People, people, whether, you know, they're later in their career or even earlier in their career, like some of the people I was talking to were, I don't know, maybe five, six years older than me even. And they would still be like linking me to heaps of other people and genuinely interested in what I, what, I wanted to do and what I had to say. And like, even to, you know, even to take their time out of their days to talk to me, I found, you know, pretty super nice of them. Yeah. And that got me opportunities. And like, I worked for this uh, startup called sports where I am. They're just a couple of guys around the corner and they do ticketing based in Australia for international sports events. Cause one of the things over here is it, can be hard it can be hard to get tickets especially for europe that you want to know that they're legitimate etc and i approached them after listening to their uh, one of the podcasts of one of sean's podcasts that they were on i pretty much cold emailed them just with my resume who i was and i just wanted to meet them really and say hi like get to know them and after about a month of seeing them i think i saw ben scully his name is a super nice guy he i met him probably four times in the space of a month or two and wow. then I was doing, like in January, I was writing content and creating content for them in Germany for the Bund- in the Bundesliga. So it works out. It works out really well if you just like just putting yourself out there. Yeah, a lot of people don't ask. Yeah, right. A lot of people are afraid to ask, but you, you'll never get anything unless you ask for it. There's right? not like there's nothing to lose, and that's the hardest part. Yeah. The hardest part at the start is just having the confidence to just send an email or send a LinkedIn message. Once you, once you get into the rhythm of it, it kind of becomes a bit like addictive. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to meet that person and I want to meet that person. And yeah, but yeah. The one thing I'd say I'd I'd add to that, Mm -hmm. that's important is, you know, it's easy to, especially if you're type A and you're a go-getter, which it seems like you are, it's easy to just fire off email, fire off email, fire off message, fire off a message. And you know, the amount of time it takes to send 10 generic messages is probably the same amount of time it takes to send one meaningful one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. And so the fact that you listen to a podcast, I'm sure you referenced that you listened to that Uh, podcast. You immediately took yourself above any other cold email because it showed that you actually took the time to listen to something they were in. And you probably had a very specific question. And that's, again, the value of coming off authentic that you genuinely care and you want to learn. And that's really important. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Yeah, it definitely definitely pays off. So yeah, I wanted to ask as well about your university college experience Mm -hmm. and kind of like how you felt after studying. Like, did you feel prepared to go straight into the workforce? Like you said, did you have a strong idea about you know, what your interests were and what your career, your like ideal career kind of pathway looked like? How, how did you feel? Yeah, it's a good question. I was lucky in the sense that I was always interested in marketing. Yeah. And so I knew as soon as I went to college, I was a pre-business major. I knew I was going to major in marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I know a lot of people don't have that. And so before I dive into that, one, I'd say if you're in the pool where you don't know, try everything. Yeah. Right. Do as many things as you can not, and don't think of things as failure. Think of them as teachers. Think of them as learnings. Oh, like for example, the first call I ever went on with someone from advertising was someone in media. Yeah. And they asked me, do you like Excel? And I said, actually, I, I don't think I want to even look in an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) And she goes, well, then you shouldn't be in the media department because we live every day in Excel. Right. He goes, you should talk to an account person because account person works with the client and works with the creative team. You're kind of the person in the middle. 
Mm. And I said, oh yeah, that sounds much more up my lane. So some people might've seen that call as a failure. That was the perfect call I could have gotten because now I asked her, oh, do you know any good account people I could talk to? Yeah. Now I just got more specific in what I'm, you know, looking to do, right? So that's yeah. important when you're figuring out what you want to study or focus on. Just try things until you get that full body yes. But for me, going into college, I would say I felt confident in my ability to add value in the creative marketing space yep. from college. I don't know if, and I can talk about my experiences in college that helped me, um, but I was not prepared at all for what it takes to be a professional, yeah, meaning so. project management, stakeholder management, how you speak to clients, how you outline emails, yeah. how you balance all of these different things, meetings. You, you could be in meetings all day. When do you get work done? I mean, that stuff, that took me years. Yeah. And I was really a fish out of water when I started. Luckily, I had an amazing manager who was really hard on me and made me better. Right, interesting. Um, but in college, I would say the one thing that I felt prepared me the most was competitions. And so lectures and tests didn't do much for me. Okay. I'm more of like, I got to do stuff to feel like I learned it. And, and so when I was a senior, I was in an advertising class and yeah. there was a competition. And the competition was, there was this company called Adventure Partners where they gave 50 plus colleges across the US three grand to run a campaign about the Honda Insight. Honda sponsored it. I actually was, I had done competitions in years leading up to that, so I kind of knew what to expect. But so I raised my hand to be the agency director cool. of this 50 person class who wow, was like awesome. a student run agency. And we had nine departments and I appointed apartment heads and we, oh, that's so and cool. I'll never forget um, the first day of the project, I addressed the class and I said, it probably could be feel overwhelming that we have this big campaign to put on and we don't know where to start right now. And we're going to be competing against all these colleges. Instead of thinking about that, think about making a booklet. And so each department is in charge of a chapter, right? We're going to make a booklet that we're going to present as a part of this competition. Mm -hmm. But we're also going to print 50 of those booklets. And you can take that booklet to your interviews when you graduate to show hiring managers and companies something yeah. tangible that you did, right? Where a lot of times make it easier on the hiring manager. A hiring manager is yeah. hearing the same stuff from a lot of people. They don't know how to decipher a good college hire, out of college hire versus a bad one. Yeah, A lot of it is just, do you interview well or not? So yeah. I kind of treat it as like, let's create something great so that we're proud enough to show it in interviews to help us get jobs. And that's yeah, how I captured the team who ended up winning the competition. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was a huge thing that I got to talk about in interviews that helped yeah. separate me from other people. Because that that kind of leads me on to a topic I wanted to talk about with you in terms of project-based learning versus mm. uh, you know theoretical learning that you would get at university. And I, like I found even in the couple of weeks that I've been developing Digital Rookie, I've learned skills that I've didn't even touch on at uni and I've you do like it's required me being able to communicate with you know people like you and you know setting up websites and I really spend a lot of time on YouTube <laughs> looking up how to how to start yeah. a podcast so yeah can you explain a little bit about how you value project-based learning uh, as opposed to the theoretical learning that you might have gotten at university yeah 
project-based learning is everything to me. I never saw myself as an academic. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, human speak, my company now is actually called EQ powered marketing. That's our tag because right. I felt like I've always been really high in EQ and emotional intelligence, which yeah. is now a buzzword, but it's not that I didn't, that I doubted my own intelligence, but I felt like I was much better working with teams, presenting, working through problems and figuring stuff out. Whereas, you know, looking in books and, and lectures didn't feel as exciting to me. Yeah. Um, but now in these days, like you hear Gary V talk about it all the time. I know he promotes, yeah. he, he, he's kind of been a strong voice against college yeah. where it makes sense. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think there's a lot of values in it, but it'll be really interesting to see how that changes, especially in these days now with COVID and everything where, you know, there's a lot of tension on public universities where people are expected to pay out of state tuition, 40 plus thousand dollars to be yeah. taking online classes and, yeah. and do it from home. Like that's a really hard sell. And looking back, I think I met a lot of great people in college. I think I grew personally, you know, from college yeah. and being out on my own. Like I was the first to go out of state in my family. And right, so okay. that was a really challenging situation. I had to grow really fast because I was yeah. so uncomfortable, but nothing beats, you know, you're going to learn more in your first year on your job, probably than your four years in college. Yeah. But you know, everything's different. You're going to, you're going to feel like you got it from your first job and then you go to your second job and you got to learn everything all over again. Yeah. You know? Cause it's, it's interesting. A lot of people who want to get into sports business or sports marketing, even like management, they do, you know, you can do courses to high heaven into the, you know, sport, sports management, you know, da -de da -de da but yeah. a different approach that I've kind of taken was, you know, I did a, just an arts degree at Melbourne university. It's a super generic broad degree. Like I majored in um, media and communications, but it never had anything to do with sports business specifically. Um, yeah. I could kind of, you know, within my projects and stuff, I could talk about what I wanted, but by doing just a generic, simple degree, I could then go and, you know, try and learn myself and teach myself through raw experience as opposed to someone who might go and do several, like, you know, a post-grad degree in management, et cetera. What do you have an opinion on, you know, the, the pros and cons of each side? Because I know like, I'm sure you've probably worked with or experienced like people who have done though, like, you know, six years of study and working in sports business versus someone who's done a shorter amount of study. Yeah. I've thought about it. Uh, many times and I think part of it comes down to I've had some people describe it to me as you know when you get to become an executive let's just use an MBA as an yeah. example right if you get down to be an executive and it's between you and another candidate and one has an MBA and one doesn't yeah who are they going to pick probably the MBA and, and I get that um, my counter argument would be well then I don't know if I want to work for that company anyways there you go right because to me, hiring is really tough. We could, you could do a whole podcast about hiring, but yeah. I think that if you're basing who you go with on labels and institutions, mm. sure, there's a lot of things that tell you that. It tells you that they went through a layer of filtering, um, I guess you could even call it. Filtering like, already yeah. to get you know, to a certain place and a certain title or a certain name of a college tells you a certain level of intelligence. But let me tell you this right now. When I went to the NFL and then I went to Uber 
I, I didn't work with a lot of Ivy League people in the agency side. Agency right. side brings together a, a, a huge mix of creative and, and different backgrounds. But when you go to a big company and a big brand like NFL and Uber, I've worked with so many Ivy League people that were really nothing against Ivy League people, right? Mm-hmm. Can you, but, sorry, can you just explain quickly the Ivy oh, League? For, yeah. Yeah. So Ivy League is like Harvard, Stanford, Brown you know, the, the best colleges in the world, the hardest okay, colleges yeah. to get in in the United States. And I guess my point is not to bash anyone. The point is, is that just because they went to a better college than I did, doesn't mean that they were any smarter or, or yeah. able than me, of course. right? And so a lot of times it brought about a certain level of entitlement, maybe a little bit of difficult to work with, or maybe they weren't great at communication, yeah, right? And so I think that, again, it comes down to the full body yes for you. If you feel like this is exactly what I need, I have a best friend that got his MBA recently at Duke. Mm-hmm. He felt like he needed that to make the jump from agency to, to client side. And now he works in Frito-Lay and big ship company and okay, yeah. brand management there. But for me, that wasn't, that I've never even considered that because I know that I will do better by working with people and yep. making money while I'm learning. Whereas some people, you know, that is really important and the network you get from that is actually yeah. important with it. but for me it, it didn't feel right and so I, I haven't explored it yeah definitely okay that's yeah that's really good to know um I did want to kind of lead in now to the NFL working at the NFL and but before I do that your I noticed reading on your LinkedIn the the pigskinboss.com that you made yeah um I just wanted to I, I don't know what uh, really what that mean meant to you but from what I understand about it is that it was just another, you know, project for you to learn more about. And it, and it seems like it ended up you working in the NFL. <laughs> so could you explain a little bit yeah. about the what happened there and how that worked? Yeah, I um, when I founded Pigskin Boss, um, which is essentially for anyone that plays fantasy football or fantasy sports out there. Um, yeah, it's, it's big, big I was for driving, the NFL here. Yeah, I was trying to solve the problem of, you know, your friends or your competition. And so normally when I would ask my friends for advice of what to do, whether that's to start this player and bench this player, yeah. I couldn't ask them <laughs> because they were in my league. And so I would end up, you know, posting some, this was early days of Twitter. I would post it. There's thousands of people asking who should I start this person or this person on Twitter. And I would yeah. text my brother and, and I realized what if I could aggregate that and quantify how good people were at voting And so not only would I see 60% to start this player versus 40% to start this player, actually the 40% of people were right 80% of the time. And so a better audience is helping me with this decision. So I was trying to quantify the fantasy advice a little bit. Yeah. You know, looking back, the one thing, the biggest thing I learned from that was I was a little bit, I think I was, I, I let my ego get in the way a little bit and I was afraid to engage people in the industry. Right. Okay. And I thought people would steal the idea and I was just working heads down. We just got to make the product better. We got to make the product better. I had two co-founders and it was all about the product and, and the marketing. Right. But what I didn't do the due diligence of was testing the idea before putting three years of my time and money into it. And mm. so what I could have learned was that because your friends because you're not going to share this with your friends because your friends are your competition, it lacked the virility to spread through word of mouth. Oh, okay. Interesting. 
And so my cost per user, my acquisition costs would be really high. And for someone that is out of college that has yeah. no money, I can't spend money to acquire users. And yeah. so the economics of it didn't work. However, it taught me product management skills to create a platform in yeah. a space that I loved. Yeah. But I did it out of a passion trying to solve a problem. And suddenly I was introduced to someone at the NFL that went to the same college as me. I didn't know him. And we talked for like a year just as friends and trading. Yeah. You know, we just talked back and forth about sports. We talked about best practices. And he joked with me the first time he met me. He says, you know, I'm going to need to hire a product person pretty soon. He was doing it all at the time. Mm -hmm. And you would be perfect. And I kind of like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. But because of the, of, you know, showing that I built this thing, even though it wasn't a success, you know, in the sense that it, you know, had millions of users and I was able to yeah. quit my day job, it gave me the skills and something to talk about, you know, to get a job at the NFL. And now I launched my own business again. You know, I'm mindful of the things that I didn't do right. Yeah. hundred percent. That time around. So yeah, sir, I wouldn't have just... gotten the job at the NFL if I, if I didn't do that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, you know, again, that differentiator and, and almost creating like a portfolio of thing, like, mm -hmm. you know, what I kind of want the digital rookie to be is yeah. if, if it opens it, like open doors for me in the future, I can, and an employer goes, Oh, well, you know, what skills do you have? What, you know, what have you done? What do you, what do you know? I can just be like, well, here's this website and podcast that I made. And it's about, it's got all the people that I've met, all the skills that I know, how I learned them and who I learned them from. For sure. Um, so yeah, definitely having that, the pigskin boss sounds like a, a great way of doing that. And, and it did get you that opportunity in the NFL. Uh, do you want to explain yeah. a little bit about working for, you know, going from working for yourself and transitioning into yet yeah, being a full blown professional? Yeah. So I was, so I was doing the pigskin boss while I was at advertising agency, yeah. TaylorMade. So I was doing that nights and weekends, you know, I'd get home at eight or nine o'clock in the agency and then work to like 2 a.m. I got grind. sick a couple of times because I ran myself <laughs> down. But the NFL was um, one of the best experiences I've ever had. However, it was the first time in my life and career that, you know, before when I was in advertising, even though mm -hmm. I was new in my career, I felt pretty good about my creative instincts because yeah. I was a golfer. Right. So I was always speaking of like, as the audience, I might be confused by this. Like, why are you talking about the technology instead of what it does for me? Okay. Right. So I felt confident as a golfer to speak up. I remember one time I like spoke up against the CMO at TaylorMade as like a 23 year old and maybe <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but I felt confident enough yeah. to do that as a golfer. But as going to the NFL, even though I was a football fan, you know, we're talking about technology now and I was never, I never had real training in building products. I was working with my co-founder and his developers in India working out of Google Docs, like right. flying by the seat of my pants. And now I have like a team of 10 plus developers who are experts in building code. Yeah. And so that was a real challenge for me at the start because everyone in the room knew more than me. Yeah. And I was the one telling them what to build. Yeah, right. And so uh, that took some time for me to, you know, realize that, hey, that's okay. Okay. You know, so I, I made it a collaborative thing. I said, hey, developer, you know, Ken and, and Joby were two of their names. I said, hey, guys, I took taken them through requirements of maybe a new game I was I was building. Mm -hmm. And I said, 
you know, here's the requirements, here's what I'm envisioning. But if you see something, you know, that maybe is not feasible from a tech standpoint, or would require more work than is necessary, or would require too many expensive calls to the database and really drain the database load, like, let's talk about that. And let's build something collaborative. Yeah. And it was fun, because now they were more bought in to the product we were building because we were building it together. Yeah, 100%. And so they would say, yeah, that I don't think that's probably the best way to do this. I think if you did it this way, we could achieve probably 80% of what you want, but it'll take like 20% of the effort. Great. And I said, perfect, let's do it that way. And so the NFL was intimidating in the sense from that, but also, you know, it's, it's the NFL. The NFL, it's, it's a big brand. It's, a, yeah. it's, it's huge. Because one thing that I've found difficult since graduating uni or, you know, I think other people might find difficult as well is that transition between, you know, being a learner and then having the confidence to sell your opinion or back, back yourself in hundred percent of the time and, and manage, you know, manage people. So I, it sounds like that the NFL was like played into that a bit in terms of your learning and how you grow, grew that skill. Would you say that's a fair. Yeah. So this is something I uh, actually was talking to someone the other day, a friend about, I've realized that every job I've, I've been at, it has taken me at least a year to feel confident. Yeah. Or actually no, at least a year to feel comfortable mm-hmm. and, it, and two years to feel confident. Okay. And that's not necessarily a great thing. Um, that's just what I've realized for me. And what that is, is it's this, it's this thing where you go into a new environment and you don't understand the language yet, right? You're sitting in these meetings as a new hire and you're trying to absorb everything, yeah. but you don't really understand what anyone's talking about and they're using jargon you don't know yeah. and you're trying to learn as you go, right? So there's this assumption in your mind that everyone knows more than you. Everyone must be really good at what they do, right? And so it takes a while to get used to that and feel comfortable in that realm, know your place, know how to, you know, who you can push on, who you need to like not follow up with um, because it makes them shut down or the personalities and how right. you navigate all of that. But I would, I would push on that more. I don't think that that has to be the norm. I think that now what I've learned at the two-year mark every time was those people that I thought knew everything actually aren't necessarily great at what they do. Yeah right? Like there's this assumption that everyone around you knows what they're doing. A lot of people, even into the like executive levels, don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, just look at the president of the United States. (laughs) So like that, there is something to be said for, you know, there's this like fake it till you make it mentality. There's some truth to that. But I think, I think what's important for your audience and people like you is learn first, but don't, Assume that because you're newer or younger or not as much experience, don't assume that you don't know as much as the other people. Okay, yeah. Trust your instincts and have the confidence to speak up if something doesn't sound right. Now, maybe frame it in a way of like, hey, you know, since I'm coming in with this fresh perspective, this seemed a little odd to me. Is that right? Am I am I misunderstanding? Yeah, okay. This right, you know. You don't necessarily Frame assert it, yourself yeah. as an expert, but but don't necessarily feel like you can't speak up or question things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because then you know you're showing you're showing that you care as well. Yeah, 
um, yeah. and you, you're, you're actually invested in what you're doing um, as opposed to just, yeah, you know, if something goes wrong and, you know, you were working on it, then I guess it reflects poorly on you and you weren't willing to question it. So do you want to explain then about the transition between uh, the NFL and Uber that, you know, going from one big brand to another big brand, how you, how that opportunity came about uh, and, you know, what you did, what you did at Uber. Yeah. So my boss at the NFL, he left to go to Uber. He left because, you know, for context, we used to have our own developer team of 10 plus engineers and we were kind of like a mini startup within the cog that is the NFL. We determined our own roadmaps. We worked with sponsorship directly to figure right. out, hey, let's build this new game and we can sell it to you know this sponsor and this sponsor. And we kind of like, we said, this is what we're going to do. Obviously, we get it sold in through the executives, but it was pretty much my boss and I determining what we did. New leadership came in, long story short, we went from being the most innovative team at NFL Digital to, you know, hey, we need to take all of the fantasy developers and put them under one umbrella so that they can work on non-fantasy things. Right. Um, fantasy was going like this. The other applications, you know, were experiencing some bug issues and okay. things and maybe weren't as high quality as fantasy, just needed some work. You know, they were constantly rebuilding NFL Mobile, yeah. the, the, the big app, not fantasy. And so we went from building a lot of new stuff to let's just keep the lights on for now. Okay. And my boss and I are similar in the sense that we like building things. We like innovating. We like yeah. creating things. Yeah. And I'll never forget my roommate at the time said to me, your boss just left. Why don't you stay? You'll be the director of fantasy football at the National Football League. Like that's a dream. Hmm. And again, this is me trusting my gut. Yes, on paper and the money, that sounds great. But was I enjoying my work as much? Yeah. I wasn't because right. we weren't doing anything cool. No right? progress, no development. Yeah. And so that wasn't interesting to me. And so when he left, he said, this is the culture Uber, this culture here as a startup is like you would thrive in it because you're figuring out stuff on the go, right? It's crazy yeah. growth. You All determine your growing, own path. Yeah. And so um, he recruited me to come over to Uber six months later and I started in partnerships. Okay. I thought partnerships was kind of a cool, you know, I'd done agency side, I've done client side, I've done product, I've done um, technology and creative and brand and be business development and partnerships is kind of like a third arm of marketing that I hadn't done before. Yeah. So I thought that that was a cool way to start. What did the day to day look like as a, you know, partnerships manager for Uber? Yeah. So I ran the West coast in the U S for partnerships. So anything that, movie or studio or a company would reach out and say like no joke i this is this is the level of thinking that a lot of people put into marketing yeah. i had a movie i don't even remember the movie title it was like pool something okay and i ran all partnerships on the west coast for our economy products so uberx uber pool uber xl okay and they reached out to do a promo on uber pool because it pool. it was in the title <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well you know, it was a movie about like violence on the road. And I'm like, we can't do a partnership about yeah. this. Creative geniuses. Safety they sound is like, like number one. Yeah. And so that was like a really great first role for me because it felt natural. Like it was the, okay. I could be creative. I was almost like my own, it was almost like my own company. Like I was the gate to get in. 
Okay. If I didn't like it, I passed on it. I didn't need to send it to my manager, right? Yeah, okay, I decided yeah. what things we did, what things we didn't. But I also worked with my counterparts of like, hey, we got to grow adoption on Uber Pool because it saves us money getting more butts and seats, as we say. Yeah. And so I would work to try and raise awareness and drive trial through promo codes and things through partnerships. Okay. And so I did that for about a year and a half of my four years was partnerships. Yeah. So, and this is when Uber was quite young as a company, right? So, because one thing when I think about Uber was that they drove such a cheap price at the start and that was able to generate so many users. And then as progressively, at least in Australia, it seems to have, you know, it gets, it's gotten more expensive. So were you part of that initial growth phase, the, the just getting as many users as possible? Yeah, it was definitely growth at all costs. I, I started in, in the fall of 2015. Okay. Um, it wasn't as crazy, you know, as 2014, 2013 was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to give you context, I think I signed an offer. And I think the, I want to say company was maybe worth $40 billion. And the day after I signed, it was worth 50 billion. That's sick. Like my stock increased. It's a stock I didn't even own yet increased by like 25% in value. And so that, you know, the early days, it was like going from $100 million company to like a $20 billion company. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't as lucky to get in (laughs) as early as like the people I know that were there in 2013, 2014. But I got to see the change of, still being a relatively young, scrappy company in 2015 to when I left in 2019, and it's you know, just, we were public. Yeah, and so up. that was a huge shift in culture and, you know, obviously all the things in the news and our CEO left and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, but yeah, Uber was, it's hard to pick because I, I got really great experiences from everything I've done, but Uber by far was probably the most meaningful and i learned the most just by trial by fire of just at uber they say there's no um ladder it's a spider web you create your own path yeah i see i see uber is in that like that echelon of like organizations innovative wise like with google and you know yeah they're just like they're crazy so you spent four years at uber and am i right in saying you had three different roles at uber maybe more so i let's see i started in partnerships yeah then I got asked to lead a team for the first time and own all marketing and ops for Uber Pool on the West Coast. So I had a okay. cross-functional team of ops managers and marketing managers. And that was probably the most uncomfortable position I've ever had simply because Pool was never focused on marketing at that time. Pool right. was all about optimizing the pricing and the matching algorithms and the network. and yeah and efficiencies and, and all of these things that were way over my head okay. that were very technical and number driven where I was like, I was looking at the NPS scores and what people are saying about the product and people hated it. Okay. And I was like, well, let's fix what people hate about it, you know? And so I kind of, it was an interesting, it was a great time because I got to try and take a lead of like, let's try and improve sentiment and marketing and education for a product that people really don't like mm. while also leading my, the ops managers on my team to like try and optimize the product and pricing in our, in our markets. Okay. Um, so I did that for about a year and a half and then I think I did some other things in between, but then the best role I had was I joined the strategy team 
yeah. um, my last year and a half. So I was on the HQ strategy team from based in LA. And that would have been amazing. I got to lead our sports strategy. Someone, again, this is just another example of like, you know, people knew I came from TaylorMade and, yeah, and, and NFL, NFL. Yeah. And someone went on a hiatus that was previously leading sports strategy for 100 plus partners across, you know, all leagues. Right. And they said, Evan, this would be a perfect role for you. Will you take it as an interim basis? And I said, that was another full body. Yeah. I was like, hell yeah. 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 You know? And so that was a really comfortable space because I've been working in sports branding my whole career. Yeah. And dealing and optimizing things for fan engagement and all these things. And so I did that for about four months. And I guess I did a good enough job where they said, this role is going to be yours full time. And then when... That's awesome. my coworker Luke came back. Um, they put him on music, and then um, I eventually launched Uber Comfort globally um, as like my big project that I led amazing. start to finish until you know right before I left in August. That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit? Because for me, sport is like I, I like marketing, but it comes down to it really comes down to sport. Like that's my main that's my main passion. Can you tell us a bit about uh, like some? Uh, do you have like a favorite story that you have? you know, a sports platform or league or something that you worked with with Uber that you, it's particularly memorable? I would say, yeah. So you'll appreciate this as a sports fan. I was asked to, so I don't know if you're, how many people in Australia are into hockey, but my, I'm from St. Louis. Okay. Um, and so the Blues, you know, never made the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And they made the Stanley Cup. And this was like the biggest deal. Yeah. And I'll make this make sense in a second. I'm going to get there. But um, I was like, this is the first time for once in a lifetime. Never know if they'll get back. They were playing game six back home and tickets were like $1,500. And at first it's like, I'm not going to pay $1,500 for a ticket. Yeah. But then, but then I was like, yeah, but when could I go? Like, it's, it reminds me of like, I, I went to Scotland to play golf once and it like drained me of all the money I had. But like yeah. looking back, it's like one of the greatest four days I've ever had. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, F it, I'm going to do it. And so I got my mom and my brother to pitch in with me. We, we paid for a ticket for my dad. I flew home, I surprised him and we went to game six. Nice. Now, the reason I say that is because the next day I had to fly out to Pebble Beach to go to the U.S. Open, right? Um, the golf golf tournament. Yep. Um, to meet with the PGA Tour because we were talking to them about doing a deal where Uber is at plenty of PGA Tour events, and I ran the strategy for that, but also Uber Black at PGA Tour events because okay, it's yeah. a higher end, higher end, yeah, market, and try and have trips that were higher margin for some of these specialty events. And I got to fly for free to Pebble Beach, to go to a major. And meet with the, get schmoozed by the PGA Tour. <laughs> um, that's, that's so cool. And I went straight. I actually, it's funny. I asked them at the PGA Tour. I said, hey, I hate to do this, but Stanley Cup game seven is at like five o'clock. And I can't, I got to get back. Yeah. So watch this with my friends from St. Louis that live in LA. Yeah. You know, this is game seven. Yeah. And so they moved the meetings up in the morning. I was watching the clock all day. And I flew straight from Pebble Beach on this little plane to LAX. I landed at the end of the first period. I drove straight from LAX in an Uber to a sports bar in West Hollywood. 
and made it by the third period. And we ended up winning the Stanley Cup. That's awesome. And so in one day, I went from being in Pebble with the PJ Tour for my job to, to a celebrating club. a Stanley Cup in That's, LA. Yeah. What a day. It reminds me, it's funny yeah. that your team's the Blues because um, I don't know if you know anything about Australian football, but this, I, for the listeners, I'm drinking my coffee out of a Carlton mug. And Carlton is my AFL team. But we are notoriously unsuccessful. I think our last, our last premiership was 1995. Mm. And, so, and I was born in 98. So uh, for me, I can relate on the, you know, if we got to a grand final, I yeah. think I have thought about this before. If we got to a grand final, you know, you have to spend like, yeah, 1500 bucks for a ticket. Like, but I think, I think I'd have to do it because, you know, I, yeah. like, I've spent my entire life just sitting at the bottom of the table, watching loss after loss. Yeah, you just have to do it. Um, you have to. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's super awesome. I've got one last question and you can tap into what we've talked about, but it's your three top tips for a, a rookie becoming a professional, a, a, like, you know, quick and sharp, just what, the best you've got. Three tips yeah. for a rookie. I would say one is, you actually said it earlier, which I think is a great tip. Be willing to work for free. I know Gary Vee says that a lot. Yeah. I agree. I think you can get in the door. And again, just like my comparison of being a cold email versus adding value on a Zoom call. Yeah. You're, you're, you go from being a piece of paper in a pile of resumes to a person they want to work with, right? And so be willing to work for free is number one. Yep. I would say do your homework and make your goal, your number one goal to learn and to help goes with one, but it's, it's a little bit going, you know, Mm -hmm. a little step further is I think a lot of people, and this isn't just people out of college. I think a lot, I've worked with a lot of people that you can tell they don't put in the time to truly think about something deeply and ask really good questions. Yeah. A lot of people are, and this just goes with, you know, giving yourself the space of stillness and time I'm a big, you know, fan of mindfulness and all that stuff. That's a different topic for a different day, but having the, giving yourself the time and the space to truly think about things and add value in a way that shows you've done your homework is really important. And my third tip, my third tip would be follow your gut. Great. And this is something that I have always done and has never served me wrong. And so to me, getting a job somewhere and like having something that be a part of your career isn't a small thing. So I know some people are more rational, more, some people are more, you know, empathic, but for me, I, I don't believe that going and working somewhere should be a pros and cons type thing. You shouldn't have to think to yourself, Okay, well, and trust me, I've done it. I've caught myself doing it many times. I didn't end up working there, but I considered it. I've mm. rationalized, well, all that money is really good. And I feel like that's a really great opportunity. And that's a really good stretch opportunity. I could manage a bigger team. They're growing really fast. I could get equity. And it's really easy to talk yourself into that. Yeah. And if you chase money, and I know it's cliche and everyone says it, but I'm telling you, it goes back to like putting in the work and like asking the right questions and having a lot of thought in what you do. That is so much harder if you're doing it for the money. 
Yeah. It's so much easier when you love it. And when it feels like a no brainer and you get excited and you get like jacked up, that is what you should do. Right. And look, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the end all be all. You might end up doing that and you were meant to go there for three years, just like I was at the NFL. And it helped introduce me to a lot of people. I've got amazing experiences there that I'll always mm. use and look back on. And then it, something may change and a new opportunity might come up and you might want to shift or change or do yeah. something different. But you'll never know unless you do it. And to me, why not do something that you're like fired up about? You yeah, know? right. But real one quick, one last thing, because I think a lot of people want to work in sports. I'm going to give you a little watch out for working in sports, okay? A lot of people don't know this or think about this until they work in it. But my brother has worked at ESPN for over 10 years, and Mm -hmm. it was funny. My parents would love, people would be like, oh, my God, your oldest son works at ESPN. Your youngest son works at the NFL. You're like the sports family. and. And that was cool. And I loved working at the NFL. I've never traded. But I will say from July through July, August to February, mm-hmm. I worked six days a week. Yeah. Because Tom. I'm working on game days. Yeah. Right? I had to make sure the product worked. I had to help with customer service issues. If there were bugs, I had to escalate them immediately. Scoring yeah. issues. There's all this stuff. And so... Again, some people, I would argue, well, I was watching football for a living, right? Like that's a dream. But I will tell you, if a lot of people don't understand that to work in sports, that means that you're working at times when the games are on. Hmm. And guess when the games are on? Weekends, Weekends. holidays, right? And so you really got to ask yourself, like, why do I want to work in sports? Is it because it's just cool and you like watching sports? Cool. If that's enough for you, then great. But some people can let the work side of it almost derail their love for the game because hmm. it's then matched with work. I have, I have heard that before from people working at clubs and that you're always on, especially working yeah. social media, like you always have to be yeah. engaged and you don't get that. You don't get time off as much as you'd yeah. like. Yeah, now again, that before. for sure. And I think it all comes down to perspective, right? Yeah. If you're the type that gets really bogged down easily and frustrated easily, then maybe not. But mm. if you, again, if you love it to your core, then working the extra day isn't going to feel like yeah. you're working an extra day, right? You're going to yeah. be like excited to watch football for your, for yeah. your job. For your job right? yeah. So just to watch out though, because a lot of people don't understand. No, I definitely that, appreciate that. That goes with, you know, your time and, and your schedule. Yeah. Evan, thank you so much for all your advice and uh, your stories and everything. Um, it's like, it's been really good to have you on the podcast for the first one. Um, couldn't have asked for a better first guest. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoyed my interview with Evan Singer. Be sure to check out his work at Human Speak as he does a great job. Also, don't forget to head to our socials, The Digital Rookie on Facebook and at Digital Rookie Hub on Instagram to keep up to date with everything The Digital Rookie. You can also find any information about me and The Digital Rookie Hub on our website, digitalrookiehub.com. If you could leave a review on the Apple Podcast app, that would be amazing. And thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.